So I flew to Sao Paulo and then I flew from Sao Paulo to Dallas, from Dallas to Hong Kong, from Hong Kong to Bangkok, from Bangkok to Tokyo, from Tokyo back to Dallas and then back to Sao Paulo. So that was like the first of my three mileage runs. The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, episode 209. President Obama flew over 188,000 miles last year, and the average pilot flies between 375,000 and 440,000 miles in one year. And here I thought I was cool flying 75,000. 19 straight days in an airport or on an airplane. That is something not even I have ever done, although I am a little jealous of Nate for doing that. And whether you're someone who has done something that crazy, whether you've spent 19 straight days, almost three whole weeks in an airplane or in an airport, uh, if you have, good for you. Or whether you're someone who just takes regular trips, you know that you need to have a very good travel backpack with you. And whether I'm on a plane on a bus, on a train, riding a horse, doesn't matter, walking around the city. I love having my Tortuga backpack with me. And if you want to check out the travel backpack that I recommend, head on over to tortugabackpacks.com. And don't forget, if you like something there, if you like their regular pack, if you like their day pack, if you like their Tortuga air pack or their packing cubes, whatever it is that catches your eye over at tortugabackpacks.com, don't forget to use the promo code EPOP, E-P-O-P, all capital letters, because we have a special deal with them. And that will get you 10% off your entire order. Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more, and in this case, a lot more in a little amount of time, and spend less. My name is Travis Sherry, the host of the show, and joining me today is a man who is helping save the world through peanut butter, who has gone from being a frequent flyer newbie to seasoned veteran right before my eyes, and who knows his way around the coffee and ice cream scene of Nashville. My good friend and EPOP fan, Nate Buchanan of Peanut Butter Printing and NateBuchanan.org. Nate, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to this. And you are part of a very exclusive, I don't know if this is in a good way or a bad way, a very exclusive club, one of only a handful of people who are now making their second appearance on the show. So you must have liked it well enough before to actually come back on. I could coerce you to come back on again. Most definitely. So in February 2015, when your, when your show launched last time, you had just, less than 11 months ago, you had just come on to talk about your first ever big trip that you had taken. So fill us in a little bit on the backstory of kind of how you have progressed because we're going to get into what you did um, just recently. And now you're planning on January 10th in just a few weeks to leave on a year-round round the trip. So you have, as I mentioned, kind of gone run the gamut here. From from like, I haven't even taken a big trip to doing three things that a lot of people never will do in their life. So give us a little bit of the background so people know where they're coming from if they didn't hear the other episode. Sure. So I guess a couple years ago, I discovered travel hacking and got into that. I went through your frequent flyer boot camp, learned a lot there, started signing up for credit cards, earning miles and points. And then my wife and I took our first big trip around the world to Europe and Thailand. We did five countries in two weeks, and that's what we talked about in the last episode. And I think that really gave us a lot of confidence in our travel, not only that we could use miles and points to travel the world for super cheap, but just also that we could survive traveling in foreign countries like Thailand, you know, that seem really far off and exotic. But when you get there, you know, it's just a fantastic experience. And so from there, like the momentum's just continued to build and I went on a two-week mileage run where I basically lived um, on airplanes and in airports for two weeks, and now we're planning a year trip around the world. And that first big trip, was that November of 2014? We left on Thanksgiving last year. So okay. Yeah. 
So yeah, so in in the span of 13 months, having gone never going on a big trip, then doing the first one, feeling confident, then doing this crazy mileage run, and then leaving to say, I'm going to do it in a year. So not everyone has to progress at that rate. But uh, Nate, you're an awesome case study for people who, as you mentioned in the first episode, talked uh, about you know, being nervous about it. And that's, we've all been there. You know, if you haven't been to a certain country or a certain area, you, you're you not sure what to expect. Even if you listen to a bunch of podcasts and people say, oh, Thailand's great, it's great, it's great. Or, you know, until you're there, you can't really always feel comfortable. And uh, so it's amazing to me to see kind of, as you said, the momentum just rolling to the point that you said, I'm ready to go on a year long trip and, and put everything in motion to do that. Yeah, I have a, a pretty extreme personality. So when I get into something, I really get into it. And that's kind of been the case with miles and points. Well, that is awesome. On today's show, what I want to do, guys, is we're, we're going to do two things. One, we're going to break down what a mileage run is, because you heard Nate bring up that term. Some of you may know it, some of you may not know it. So we'll break down what a mileage run is, you know how you find mileage runs and how you decide whether they're worth it or not. Nate can speak to this one to the crazy extreme, as you mentioned, uh, more than I can, because even I haven't gone this far. And then we're going to go into detail about your experience of spending 15 straight days either on an airplane or in an airport lounge, except for a few instances where then you almost miss the plane. I don't want to spoil it too much. But I am going into this, folks, kind of with blinders on as well. I've heard Nate talk about the mileage run briefly with me. I didn't want to know a lot of information. So I am going to be a newbie to this as well, because it's it's an experience that I've never had a whole 15 days on an airplane or airport. So let's start with what a mileage run is because a lot of people listening to this might say like okay maybe i kind of understand the term like you're you're hopping on an airplane to get miles but what is the point of it can't you just fly anywhere like what what is a mileage run specifically Nate yeah so i think in its simplest form a mileage run is flying purely for the fact of either earning miles or earning status so you're not worried about the destination that you're going to how long you'll be in that destination you are purely getting on an airplane and sitting in a seat just to earn the miles and points or to get status with whatever airline you're flying with. And that is what you then did for this. Like why? Okay. And we'll get into the meat of it uh, in just a little bit. But why did you decide to do the mileage run that you did? Was it to earn miles or was it to earn status? Uh, So it was a combination of both. So I think um, a mileage run makes sense when what you're paying for the flight is less than the benefits that you're going to get. So in my case, I had zero status with American Airlines. uh, And at the end of the mileage run in two weeks, I earned executive platinum status, which is as high as you can go with American Airlines. And on top of that, I earned over 300,000 American Airline miles. So when you do the math on that, the money that I paid for the ticket was much less than the value I get between those miles and the executive platinum status. And I think you explained that really well then. Yeah, you to to figure out if it works for you. And this might be a little complicated for people who have never heard it before, but you have to look at the opportunity and what it will give you and then what it costs. So to take it a little smaller, I once did a mileage run. It wasn't exactly a true mileage run, but there was a cheap ticket to China. It wasn't even as cheap as as some of the ones that come up, but it was $500. And we ended up getting about 25,000 miles worth of American Airlines. And we actually then took a trip to China. So again, not a true mileage run because we actually spent three weeks in China. But those 25,000 American Airlines points were almost worth the $500 that I spent because then I used those 25,000 American Airlines points to book you know, a ticket around the US that might have cost me $500 to pay out of pocket. So yeah, you're getting something to make your cost either very minimal or less than zero, you know, where you're actually getting enough miles that it, that it pays for it. Now, how does someone find out about mileage runs? Because these don't just exist all the time. They kind of have to come about, right? Yeah, so I, I remember uh, starting out in this hobby, reading Flyer Talk and reading about people who were going on mileage runs. And that was like, a lot of people would say the good old days when, I guess, flights were cheaper. I don't know. But from what I had heard, like, mileage runs were essentially dead in this day and age, or at least it was a lot harder to come by. Um, So in my case, I'm kind of nerdy. I have these flight alerts set up on my phone where um, I follow a few different blogs that publish really good flight deals. And anytime anything new is published on one of those sites, I get an alert um, to my phone. So if it is a mistake there and it's going to be gone quickly, then I can jump on it and book the flight. 
So in this case, uh, I got a notification on my phone about really cheap flights from Sao Paulo, Brazil to Hong Kong. And they were in business class, uh, which two things. One, it makes flying much more comfortable than economy. And you also earn more points when you fly in business class with American. Um, so the notification popped up on my phone, did some research online, and had three back-to-back flights booked uh, within about two hours. <laughs> and traditionally, our mileage runs in economy, in business, in first. Like, Do you see one kind pop up more often than others? Um, for me, uh, not specifically, um, you know, I guess I, I'm just kind of looking for the flight deals, what comes across, like normally in the past, uh, when mistake fares have popped up, I've actually used those to go somewhere and enjoy a trip and not for mileage run purposes. Uh, but this one specifically made the most sense because it was in business class and I earned a bunch of different mileage multipliers. So if you can find one in business class or first class, it's going to you're going to get a lot more bang for your buck. Yeah, and as it as Nate mentioned, he ended up stacking uh these trips on top of each other. So, in essence, you got the same ticket Sao Paulo to Hong Kong, but you did it three times back to back to back. Typically, uh, well, I guess there's no typical with a mileage run because it just comes down it, in essence, it's crazy people who are flying just to get miles or status. So, there isn't typical, there isn't normal. It's a very nerdy, geeky thing and I say that with the utmost respect, of course, cuz I'm jealous that you did it. Um, but you can do it just as one trip. So there are people who will say if a cheap ticket comes up and it doesn't even have to be international, you know, a cheap ticket could come up between New York and LA and you say, all right, I'm going to fly out on, you know, a Friday night and I'm going to take the red eye back like, like Saturday morning. Like you don't really in a true mileage run, spend time in the destination as we've kind of hit on, but I think that's an important point for people. You're, you're not going to go to the destination, although sometimes you can build that in and you can actually make it a trip. But you're going literally just to fly out. Maybe you spend some time in an airport and then you come back or maybe you have an hour to go to a destination or something like that. But it's not a trip. It's just for the miles and or the status. Yeah. And in my case, it made sense to book three back to back because I had to position myself in Sao Paulo, Brazil, because that's where the flight started from. And so... I needed three back-to-back to get executive platinum status, which is the highest status you can get on American Airlines. And so I didn't want to have to fly to Sao Paulo and use points to get down there multiple times because that would have been a waste of points. So I just did them all back-to-back in two weeks. All right. So let, let's get into that because I think people now understand at least the concept of a mileage run. And maybe if you don't, it might crystallize a little bit as we talk about Nate's exact mileage run. So you mentioned that you saw this fight deal come up and and again you set up all these alerts and there's uh, if someone wants to do it simply you can go to theflightdeal.com they post um really good flight deals you can go on the forum flyer talk all those stuff it's a little harder it's kind of like coded there you know it's a little harder to understand so if you want to just dip your toe in the water go to theflightdeal.com that's a great place and yours started typically you see some start you know in the United States cuz a lot of people who are posting about this live in the United States, but they can start anywhere. And you were started in Sao Paulo, right? Yes, that's correct. And give us the I like give us the route. Like what was your your itinerary, your total itinerary here for this modron? Because it was two weeks, right? Fifteen days, I think? Fifteen days. So in the simplest form, I basically flew Sao Paulo to Hong Kong and back three times. But the specific routing, um, if we have time for this. Definitely. Still- Let's hear it. I started in Nashville, so I had to get to Sao Paulo for my positioning. So I flew Nashville to Houston, and then I flew Houston to Sao Paulo, and this is where my actual mileage run started. And you did that with miles, I assume, to get down to Sao Sao Paulo. Right, yeah. So United was running a promotion where it was 45,000 points round trip. So I actually booked my flight to Sao Paulo and back with 45,000 United miles. So I flew to Sao Paulo, and then I flew from Sao Paulo to Dallas, from Dallas to Hong Kong, from Hong Kong to Bangkok, from Bangkok to Tokyo, from Tokyo back to Dallas, and then back to Sao Paulo. So that was like the first of my three mileage runs. Right. So that's number one. That's the and that how many days like is that does that encapsulate? It was like three or four days. I think the longest layover I had during that period was ten hours in Bangkok in the middle of the night. Luckily some lounges stay open during that time. So I was just hanging out in an airport lounge in the middle of the night in Bangkok. So yeah, that was uh 
maybe three, four, five days. They all kind of run together, especially when you're uh, crossing the international date line. Yeah, and you're going back to the same places a lot of times. All right, so that's, that would be a typical one-off mileage run. Like you went from Sao Paulo all the way to Hong Kong. You rooted through some different areas, um, and then you came back to Sao Paulo. But as we mentioned, because Nate decided to stack three on top of each other, why not? You're already down in Sao Paulo, and you're already going for the miles. You then had to do it two other times, and the routing changed a little bit, I think, right? Yeah, so the, the other two times, essentially, I just went Sao Paulo to Dallas, Dallas to Hong Kong, and then Hong Kong back to Dallas, back to Sao Paulo. So cut off the Bangkok and Tokyo legs. Okay, so here we go. You've, you've flown Sao Paulo to Hong Kong, and with some little layovers here and there, you did that three straight times. So give us, like, if you have the nitty-gritty kind of amounts like we've talked about all right let's go from your door in nashville like when you left nashville to them when you actually returned to your house how many days was that it was 15 total days of flying and i flew ninety-two thousand miles in those 15 days and did you ever like calculate out how many hours you spent in lounges and how many you spent on airplanes or was it just like all right i know it's 15 days where i literally have not left an airplane or lounge for the most part it is on my blog somewhere uh but i don't have it pulled up but i'm pretty sure it was a hundred plus hours on airplanes okay a hundred plus and i can't remember how many lounges but if somebody wants to see the exact numbers it's published on natebuchanan.org awesome and then for you you were flying business class so Let's talk kind of like about the not emotional state, but I guess really like obviously to do something like this, you have to be pretty geeked up and excited about in the beginning. So talk us through when you when you first booked it, you know, what were your thoughts with, okay, I'm going to spend basically 15 days away from home, but I'm not really going on any type of vacation. I'm going to be in airports and on airplanes for 15 days. Were you pretty excited? Were you nervous? Were you like, what am I getting into? What were your feelings when you first booked it? Yeah. So uh, let me step back to like the actual booking process, because that was kind of crazy in itself. So it was a mistake fare and kind of anything goes with mistake fares, especially since the Department of Transportation has kind of made it easier for airlines to uh, not honor mistake fares. So there was no guarantee I was going to get these tickets when I booked them because these tickets are $7,000 tickets, uh, each one of those three were, and I got them each for about $700 a piece. So like, I got a crazy good deal on these tickets. And then not only that, but I had to process my credit card as a Brazilian credit card, which from booking like past mileage runs, I knew that for some reason, American Express will let you say your card is from any country. So I had to use my American Express. Then I had to hope that American Express would honor the transaction. So like when I actually booked the tickets, I thought that there was maybe like a 10% chance that this would end up actually working out. And then like over the next few days, all these things kind of fell into place. um, And then I realized I was going. So, uh, and honestly, I was super excited. I've flown business class one other time. It was a short flight uh, from the Dominican to Miami. And right, so you couldn't even enjoy. It. You're talking like an hour and a half, right? right. But even then, it kind of like gave me a taste of what it might be like. Uh, and so I was, I was pumped about flying business class. I didn't know how my body would hold up, like sleep wise, if I would just be a zombie, and then just like being in airports and on planes. I figured I'd get sick at some point along the way. Uh, but surprisingly. I enjoyed myself. I'll say like 90% of the time. My body held up better than I thought it was going to. It actually ended up being a really enjoyable experience. Like I knew I'd be glad I did it because it would be a good story. And I, you know, I got all the benefits of the points and the miles and the status, but I didn't know how much I'd actually enjoy myself. What about the preparations to go? Like, did you prepare any differently than you would have prepared for a 15-day trip where you're actually going to go on you know, a, a vacation or a trip where you wouldn't be spending it in airplanes and lounges? I think this one was actually a lot easier because there was a lot less planning. Like I didn't have to figure out like when you leave the airport, how do you get to here when you, you know, like where am I going to stay? Because I always spend way too much time on that. And, you know, like I didn't have to try to pack for different climates. Like it was actually a lot more simple. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, and I guess the you you had showers in the lounges and things like that, so it was it was pretty straightforward. What what about then though? You know, some people are listening to this like, all right, this is awesome. Some people are like, you guys are crazy. But my big hang up or or the biggest thing would be, all right, I'm leaving my family. You know, a lot of, in your case, your wife. What was her uh, her take on the fact that her husband was leaving for 15 days, not to really go travel, but to just like just to get miles and um, American Airlines status, executive platinum? I have to give her a lot of credit because she was extremely supportive. So it kind of started off as like this, hey, um, is it okay if I try to book these tickets? Don't worry. It probably won't work out. I probably won't be gone for two weeks to, oh, hey, this actually worked out. I guess I'm going now because I can't cancel the tickets. And But she was extremely supportive. Um, you know, She's looking forward to visiting some of the first class lounges on our trip around the world next year because of my new status. Um, you know, We're using the miles that I earned to pay for a lot of our trip around the world next year. So Obviously, she wasn't happy not seeing me for two weeks, but um, you, you know, she was logical enough to know that the benefits outweighed the cost of being away from me. Yeah. and let, All right. So let's talk about those benefits a little bit uh, in your specific case, because we talked about a, a typical mileage run. You earn miles and then you use them to book free flights. And you also sometimes people do it for status. And in your case, you got American Airlines Executive Platinum, which uh, as kind of in the industry, people say this is the best it's the highest American airline stats you can get. And it's probably the best airline stats that you can have for any North American airlines because they give you some really, really cool perks. And at that point, you knew that you were going to do a around the world trip too. So were you able to kind of figure out like you spent about $2,100, correct? On the actual mileage run tickets. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I guess like kind of breaking down the cost and the the benefits and how much those benefits are worth to me. I don't know that I have an exact number, but so yeah, I paid about $2,100 for the tickets and then I earned over 300,000 American airline miles. So if you just took that in itself, those miles, I guess, value cons- valued conservatively are worth like one and a half cents a piece. Right. So you're looking at at least $4,500 worth of value from those points and then the way I'm redeeming miles, I'm usually getting closer to two cents, you know, so maybe $6,000 worth of free flights for me. And then I haven't really tried to put a number on the status, but some of the biggest benefits is one, you get eight system-wide upgrades. So you can upgrade an economy flight that you book to business class. And after flying business class for two weeks, I realize how big a deal that is. Um, so I, I don't know exactly what the value is on that, but we're really looking forward to getting it to experience some business class travel that we wouldn't have otherwise. And then one of the biggest things for us is they waive change fees on award travel. If you're executive platinum, so like normally if you book an award ticket, so you use points to book a flight somewhere and then you need to cancel or change that ticket, they charge you, I think it's $150 a person. So in our case, you know, if we booked all of these award flights for next year and then something happened and we had to we had to change a lot of things, it would have been incredibly expensive in change fees. But now we have complete flexibility because they waived that fee for us. So we can go ahead and book everything in advance. And if something doesn't work out, no big deal. We'll cancel it and book another one. Yeah, so, that, that is huge, especially when you want like like you guys are going on a year round trip for a lot. For some people, it might be like, well, I, I'm only taking these trips and you know, 95% chance I'm going to get on that flight because we're taking a few vacations a year. But in, in the instance that you're in, that I'm in, that, that that a decent amount of people listening and where you have a lot of flexibility, you, you know, maybe you fly to Italy and you're like, oh, we really like this. We want to go push this back two or three weeks. Yeah. 150 bucks is a decent amount of money per person. And it, it kind of hems you in. I mean, yeah, you could do it, but who wants to spend $300 just to, to, you know, spend a few more weeks there. You could just say, all right, I'm going to change it anytime I want for free. Yeah. And then on top of that, we get um, priority boarding on any one world flight that we book. Um, so like American, British Airways, Cathay Pacific, you know, one world is essentially like the umbrella that uh, a lot of uh, airline carriers operate underneath. And so on top of getting executive platinum status, we also get the highest tiered status on one world. So that comes with priority boarding, um, priority security lines at some points, and then also getting into some first class and business class lounges, which um, we should get into that at some point because I had some pretty cool experiences um, 
in international first class lounges. Yeah, let all right. So let's uh, go back to the experience a little bit uh, of what what it was actually like to do it. So you're pretty excited, and and as you you touched on already, ninety percent of the time was was pretty great. We're gonna get to the ten percent of the time. Don't worry, folks. We will definitely have Nate recount some uh, some bad stories in this, but. You know, you get on the plane. What was it like? Day- I mean, we're saying like day to day, but you're crossing so many time zones and stuff. What was what was it like to actually be on the plane? All right, you're in the air for for ten hours, then you're stopping, then you're going in the lounge. I mean, was that was it fun? Was it was there times where it got monotonous? Was it cool because you were in different lounges and different airplanes? You know, what? How did these fifteen days play out overall? Okay, so I'm, tr- I'm trying to figure out exactly where to start here. But essentially, so I, I run my own business and I do 90% of my work from my computer. So essentially, I just told people like, I'm basically just working exactly like I would, except from much cooler locations, you know, whether it be 30,000 feet in the air or in an airport lounge somewhere with a bunch of free food around me. I had a lot of long layovers. Like every time I would fly into Sao Paulo, I would get there at nine in the morning and then I would leave at 9 p.m. that night. So I'd have a 12-hour layover in Sao Paulo. So basically, I would get to the airport. There were, actually, I could get, by by the end, by the time I had my status and because of the priority pass and some other credit cards I had, I could get into every single lounge in the Sao Paulo airport. I think there, there were six or seven, and I went to all seven of them. So I'd go, I'd set up in a new lounge, set my computer up and iPad, and then I'd work, you know, like I would a normal work day for eight or 12 hours. And then I used most of my time when I was actually on the planes, um, because I didn't sleep on the ground, uh, except for one night, I used most of the time on the planes to eat and sleep. Uh, so that was kind of, and then in Hong Kong, I did actually um, leave the airport. Um, was so, that the only time that you left the airport, the time in Hong Kong? So twice in Hong Kong. I had two 16-hour layovers in Hong Kong, and I left the airport both times I was there. So 15 days, except for two instances of, of a couple hours each, where you were on planes or in airport lounges. Now, did any did you see any of the same passengers? Did you see any of the same flight attendants or or uh, lounge attendants? Like, did did anyone ever say like, wait, I, I've seen you a lot in the last ten days? Like, did anyone else pick up on this? It, yes, uh, several people. So I transited through DFW like I don't know at least eight times, and so and the Centurion Lounge in, at the DFW airport is one of my favorite domestic lounges. Uh, they have fantastic food and you can get a free massage. So anyway, that's the, that's the lounge that I went to every time I went to DFW. And so by the end, the ladies who worked the front desk there uh, just laughed every time I walked in. Same with um, the people in the American Airlines lounge in the Sao Paulo airport. Uh, there were some people that thought it was very humorous that I kept showing up. And then I'd tell them that I'd been to Hong Kong and back, you know, and they'd just seen me three days earlier and they wouldn't believe me. And I'd show them my tickets and then probably the craziest was I flew from Sao Paulo to Hong Kong and there was a couple with a baby who sat behind me. And I remembered that it was this specific couple because I don't love it when babies sit behind me on airplanes. Right. You always remember those passengers, even if it's not their fault, right? You remember them. It's exactly. And then I was standing in line to get my ticket to fly back to Sao Paulo and they were in line right behind me and recognized me and started asking me questions. And so they had taken a vacation to Hong Kong. And by the time their vacation was over, I'd flown to Sao Paulo and back. And then I was flying back to Sao Paulo with them. And they just could not comprehend why I would ever do that. So they had what, like a a seven-day vacation, but you had actually made that flight at least once in between. And then we're catching them on their way back. Exactly. That That is insane. What were some of... I guess, what were some of the highlights of this whole thing? Like whether that comes, I mean, we can go into superlatives like best lounge, best food, best flight, but what were some of the things that stick out as like, yeah, this was like, this was great. So I, for me, the, the very first thing was just like the business class flight experience in general. So you get, since this was my first time, I was, I was new to all of it. And I remember boarding the plane the first time I was like super giddy, but I was trying to act like I'd done this before, but they could tell I had, and I was so excited. So 
you, I, I got on the plane and then they serve you a pre-departure beverage. And then when you get up in the air, they serve you a four course meal with an appetizer, a salad, a main course. And then the highlight for me is, was the dessert. So American has this cool thing with it where they do an ice cream sundae for you and they bring the cart around and they have ice cream and then like a ton of toppings on the cart and you choose which toppings you want in your ice cream sundae. And so I love ice cream anyway, but to have it on an airplane at 30,000 feet was fantastic. And then you sleep for a little while, maybe watch a movie and then wake up and they serve you like a three course breakfast before you land. And the American Airlines business class, the design of it, like if you fly in a window seat, you're basically in your own little pod. And so you have a ton of privacy. The seat lays completely flat and that was just like a completely different flying experience than what I'm used to sitting in economy with my neck pillow, trying not to lean on the person beside me to having a lay flat bed with a pillow. They give you a nice blanket. So, I mean, I just enjoyed the entire like business class experience. Yeah. And, and if anyone's listening, you know, I typically Heather and I fly like, like Nate and his wife fly. Well, not anymore. Now that you're executive platinum, you'll be going business class all the time, but typically we fly economy and Heather and I have actually, I've only flown business twice and she's only flown it once. One of those was for our Swiss TV show that they put us in business. The other was, um, when a business class flight with miles was cheaper than actually an economy one. Um, and we won't get into all why that happened. But one of the reasons that a lot of people do earn frequent fire miles, like, so if you're listening, you're like, yeah, you know, this, I hear you talk about frequent fire miles a lot and, you know, it's fine, but I, I don't, is it worth me doing it if I can buy a trip to Europe for 700, 800, a thousand bucks? You know, I do it once a, uh, once a year. One of the big reasons that a lot of people do get frequent fire miles is so that they can have business and first class tickets. So Heather and I do a lot of, uh, travel on economy flights, and we don't have to pay out of pocket for them. But a lot of people use their miles to get the business class flights because then you're talking a couple thousand dollars, if not tens of thousands of dollars, to do some of these business and first class flights. Whereas using miles, you know, instead of sixty thousand, it might be a hundred thousand. So it, it opens up a possibility that really isn't there for ninety five percent of people when they talk about paying for flights. So that's just an aside where some people who I've at, who have talked to me before, like. I don't know if it's worth it if I get frequent flyer miles because I'm only going to, you know, take one trip a year. I'm like, well, what if that one trip a year could be in business class as opposed to economy? Then it might be worth it for someone who isn't a frequent traveler. Exactly. So yeah. you love the Sundays, obviously. Yes. So, the, so the ice cream Sundays were fantastic. And it was fun because like depending on which route you're flying, they serve you different food. So like that, that entire experience was just fun and exciting. Um, another highlight was the 16 hour layover in Hong Kong. So I got there at like 8 PM at night and my flight didn't leave till the next morning at 1 PM. So I had like 16 ish hours. I don't know if my math is perfect. Um, but I, was trying to stay on like central time zone. So I, I'm from Nashville. We're in the central time zone. Uh, Sao Paulo is maybe like two hours ahead, I think. And so like that was where I was spending 75% of my trip. So that's how I designed my sleep schedule. So anytime I was in Asia, I just stayed up the whole time. And so we landed in Hong Kong at 8 p.m. And then I decided I'd just go like walk around and explore the city all night until I had to come back for my flight, uh, you know, and be back at the airport at like 11. So I got off, took the train into the city, went to see the harbor with all of the lights, went to explore some of the night markets and ate some street food, like just had a great time until maybe like one or 2 a.m. in the morning. And then I realized I was wandering around this foreign city like late at night and it was starting to get a little sketchy. So I ducked into a McDonald's because apparently they're open 24 hours a day there. It had free Wi-Fi. And I think that it's accepted, at least in Hong Kong, I would assume other Asian cultures to sleep in McDonald's because I walked in and there were like 10 people sleeping on the tables. Yeah, well, that was one of the first things I noticed when I arrived in Japan. We were at a Denny's that, that is like the American Denny's chain, but doesn't have the same food. So I couldn't get a Grand Slam breakfast. And I, it was one of the first, I think it was the first or second night I was in Japan. And we go in there like at three in the morning and people are like, oh yeah, we're just going to sleep here. 
I'm like, what? And they're like, yeah, well, the train doesn't go until like 6 a.m. or whatever it was. So we're just going to hang out in this Denny's and, uh, yeah, sleep on, like, you know, you don't like lay on t- the tabletop, but you like could put your head down and people were doing it. And so, yes, I think it's a fairly common thing for people to do, which is very strange to our Western sensibilities, I guess. It would be very frowned upon and you'd be kicked out of the restaurant pretty quickly. Right. And right. So, yeah, I just assumed I was there with a bunch of homeless people. But then I started recognizing like this person's wearing a suit, probably not homeless. Uh, so anyway, I was killing some time at McDonald's until the Metro opened again. I think it was at like 6 a.m. in the morning because there's this island that uh, you can ride the Metro out to called Lantau Island. And at the top, there was this monastery and this giant uh, Buddha statue. And it just seemed like something uh, cool to see. It was kind of at the top of TripAdvisor. So as soon as the subway opened, I rode it out there. I took the first, you could take like this expensive uh, tram ride that was like uh, 20 or $30 up. And I think we shared the uh, same frugalness. So I wanted to see if there was a better way. So I took this local bus for like $1.50 up the mountain at like 7.15 in the morning thinking like, the tram doesn't start till nine. I'll be the first one there. I'll get to experience it by myself. And I was by myself because it didn't open till 10 a.m. And so I'm stuck on the top of this random island mountain in Hong Kong. And I just kind of poked my head in the doorway of the monastery because it was open and there wasn't anybody around. So I just decided I'd walk in and ended up like giving myself a tour around for probably 30 minutes or an hour. I passed some people. I kept waiting to get kicked out, but they'd just smile at me. So they let me walk around, but they wouldn't let me hike up. It was like 300 stairs up to this uh, giant Buddha statue that I thought overlooked the Hong Kong Harbor. I ended up being mistaken. Uh, But so I knew that if I waited till it opened at 10 and I ran up the stairs and tried to catch the bus back, that I'd be cutting it pretty close. I guess I'd been flying on airplanes too long. I made the poor decision of deciding to stay. As soon as it opened, I ran up the 300 stairs, got to the top. Probably the only exercise you had had in like 14 days, right? I'm sure it was good for me. Uh, Realized it wasn't overlooking the harbor, just like the ocean. It ended up not being that great at all. So I ran back down the stairs jumped on the bus. And then when you're in a hurry like that, everything takes way longer than you remember. Anyway, I I made it back to the plane. They had already been boarding for like 15 minutes, but luckily uh, I I didn't miss my plane because otherwise that would have really thrown off the itinerary because since I was doing it back to back, I didn't have enough time to like catch the next one out. Right. So was that the closest that you cut it? Because you didn't miss any flights then, right? Yeah, everything went off okay. And was that the closest you cut it or no? Yeah, that was that was the closest I cut it. And I got really lucky. The longest delay that I had was I think it was two hours. So it ended up the the flight from Dallas to Hong Kong is the eighth longest commercial flight in the world. So it takes sixteen hours and I flew it six times. Uh, but one time before we left, a, a passenger got extremely ill before we even took off and they had to bring the medical personnel on to like get them off the airplane and they had to go underneath and find their bags. And so that whole or- ordeal took two hours, which you're sitting in the airplane seat, which you're also going to be in for another 16 hours. So that made for a pretty uh, long flight, but thankfully that was the worst delay that I had for the entire trip. Yeah. And thankfully you were in business class too, which, which obviously makes it... I don't even know if you can put a number like 10 times better, 20 times. It makes it infinitely better when you can lay down and, oh man, it, it is. It's a treat. It takes it from an experience that I dread, you know, flying 16 hours in economy to an experience that I look forward to flying 16 hours in business class. Yeah, it, it's crazy. Now, were there any other major mishaps during this time? Like the the Hong Kong almost missing the flight that obviously mishap. Was there anything else that happened that potentially put a kink into it? Or was that kind of the only tricky spot? There were two other like little things. So the first one is I showed up at the American Airlines lounge in Sao Paulo for the first time. And I was about to go to Hong Kong for the first time. And since I just like came off one flight and went straight to the international departure area, I hadn't gotten my ticket. Uh, my, my boarding pass. And so I asked him to print it in the American Airlines lounge for me. And when I asked the guy to print it, he was asking for my yellow fever vaccination card. 
And if you go to Brazil and then you go to Hong Kong, you're supposed to have a yellow fever vaccination card. Um, and because Brazil is, I guess, known as a place that potentially has yellow fever. And I hadn't even thought about that before I left. And luckily I hadn't left the airport in Brazil. And so like he and I kind of talked my way around it. He didn't speak fantastic English. And so like that kind of helps I've discovered, you know, (laughs) just kind of point to things and hope for the best. Anyway, that it took him a good like 30 minutes to sort that out. So that scared me that like I just got into Sao Paulo. I was about to start this two weeks of flying and it was all going to be over because I hadn't gotten that yellow fever. Yeah, that puts a kink in it pretty quickly, right? Yeah. Uh, And then the other one was I was going to leave the airport in Sao Paulo. Because uh, I had a 36-hour layover at one point, and I planned to take the metro and go staying stay in a hostel and just like see the city since I had a little bit of time. And as I was going through customs, uh, the guy that was like in charge pulled me aside. I, I don't know why. Uh, I was like the only one going through because I'd gone to a lounge and hung out for a little while beforehand, and asked me where I was going and how I was planning on getting there. And I told him the Metro and he said, uh, you know, I wouldn't do that if I were you. Um, basically, it's not safe for, you know, somebody who looks like you, an obvious American, to, to travel on the subway to your hostel. And so uh, I was already like through customs, but I hadn't, or through immigration, but I hadn't gone through customs yet. So I was kind of like in this in-between land. And I started doing this research before I left the airport on like how much taxis cost and, you know, like safety, like after he had said that and decided that it wasn't worth leaving. I was carrying like $5,000 worth of electronics, you know, because I had like my work computer and then I was doing some like filming while I was there. So I had our nice camera set up and everything like that. So uh, I ended up talking to the nice guy at customs and he, uh, I'm sure this is not the normal process, but he stamped me back into the country. So technically... I have a Brazilian stamp in my passport, even though I didn't leave the airport. I'm sure not too many people can say that. It's like, Sarah, I'm too scared to actually visit your country. Can you just let me back on the lounge in an airplane again? Well, and I I think his view of Americans probably helped with just like being okay with it because he opened my passport and saw that I had, yeah, I think my wife and I have been to 13 or 15 different countries at this point together and was very surprised that an American had been to that many different places. Yeah, that that's cool. That's a, that's lucky on both ends that obviously the yellow fever thing, you know, you were able to talk your way around it. And the fact that you're still in the airport, I guess they could have been sticklers and just said, no, you need it. But there's always those little things that kind of, well, they're not little, they're, they're actually things that probably we should look up ahead of time, but, you know, get lost in the shuffle of the fun part of like booking the tickets and going on the trip and all. Was there ever a point where you were sitting there and you thought, I wish I wasn't doing this? Because that is, you know, it sounds fun. Like to me, I'm I'm jealous, you know, I'm, and I think people fall in two camps listening. They're either extremely jealous or they're like, I would never want to do that. I'm jealous because it's a, you know, it's over for you. It's 15 days and it's like this experience that you'll always talk about and you get all these perks, right? And and not many people are ever going to be able to say they did it, but actually doing it, was there a spot where you said like, oh man, like whether it be when you were halfway through and you're like, I'm only seven days into this or at the end, like, was there a point where you wished you could just go home? I don't know that I ever got to the point of like really wanting to go home, but the definitely the least enjoyable time was kind of that middle flight. So for the first one, everything was new. Every airport that I landed in was new. Uh, you know, like the complete experience of flying business class was new. It was all exciting. The second one where I was hitting the exact same airports, flying the same flights, eating the same food, it kind of, and I still realized that I had like a week left, you know, and getting a little... I don't want to say homesick, but like I'd been away from my wife for a week and was kind of, you know, feeling a little guilty about that and ready to come home and see her. Uh, And then on top of that, so like one of the highlights of the entire trip was just eating because that's what you did constantly. So like you get on the plane, they serve you your four course meal, you go to sleep, you wake up, they serve you your breakfast. Then I go into the airport and I have lounge access and the best thing to do in a lounge is eat. So I go in the lounge and eat and then I get back on another flight that same, I was eating like four or five meals a day. And so 
midway, I was like full. I didn't want to eat anymore. So like the fun of that was gone. You know, I was just like picking at the salad that they gave me. So there was like a small lull in the middle, you know, to where it wasn't too much fun. But then at the end, it was like, oh, this is my last business class flight from Sao Paulo to DFW. I need to enjoy it. And so it got really fun again. So the three, that, that, the key is maybe to do it twice, folks. So you have the, the first one that's awesome, and the last one, you're like, or the second one is your last one. The third one, or the middle one, yeah, it throws everything off there. So if you're going to go Sao Paulo to Hong Kong, it, Nate's advice, maybe. Maybe only do it twice back-to-back, right? Well, and I really, the reason I booked three is because... So I was looking for a mileage run anyway because I needed 10,000 more, 10, more miles to hit platinum on American Airlines, and then I realized if I book three, I could get executive platinum. Well, it turns out, by the time all of the bonuses kicked in, I actually only needed two. So like, I would just find the last one just for kicks, I guess. Uh, I mean, it actually ended up working out because I earned a lot more frequent flyer miles. The status, you know, like I hit executive platinum on the second one, and that was had gone as high as possible. But I did earn, you know, an extra 100,000 miles from flying the last one. So it was worth it, but... Yeah, it's numbers just, were a little off when you were doing it in your head versus when it actually showed up. That's funny. Yeah. But now, we're off in a good way. Yeah, because you have you, you got some more now. Um, you mentioned ninety percent of the time it was fun, ten percent of the time it was maybe not as fun. Was that just the middle couple days, or was there actually any experiences that were? Outside of the ones you talked about that oh, you almost missed this, you missed that. Were there any times that you had an experience other than those that were like, oh man, this is this is kind of either boring or or just a bad experience? I really can't think of one. Maybe I've blocked it out of my mind, but I really, I guess like one of the hardest parts was a lot of times I was on the ground for 24 hours when I was in Asia by the time my you know flight landed and then took off again. And so like, I would be so tired and just could not wait to get on the airplane and pass out. But it was net like it, it was fun. I, I can't believe I'm saying it, but there really was not like one really bad experience on the trip. So if all right, so the big question then becomes like if you knew what you knew now, right? And and you were looking back and the same mileage run came up tomorrow, would A, would you do it again? If you let's say you didn't have stats, or you had to get you had to do it to get stats. Would you do it again? And B, if it came up, would you be like Trav or Epop listeners? I suggest you do it if it was like a fifteen day similar type thing. For me, in a heartbeat, I would. If it came up again, I'd book like three more back to back, and then a month out, I'd book three more back to back. It it was a lot of I I enjoyed it, but recommending it to other people, I, you kind of have to be like a nerdy frequent flyer like me and just enjoy, you know, there's some people that don't enjoy going into airport lounges, you know, cause I guess they have really high expectations of the food. I'm like, it's an airport lounge. I'm happy if, you know, I get something more than a, than a sandwich or something. But, um, you know, so like if you enjoy the flying experience and you enjoy seeing new places, I don't know, I guess I'm just not a picky person. Like, I can enjoy myself, you know, pretty much no matter what I'm doing. So um, I'd do it again in a heartbeat. And I, I would recommend that anybody do it. It would be a fantastic experience. Did your productivity drop? So that was another thing, because obviously a lot of times people are going to have to be able to work online to some extent if you're going to go for 15 days. I mean, I probably wouldn't recommend someone blow their only two weeks of vacation doing this. Um, but if you if you have flexibility in your schedule... How was your productivity while doing? Because I know you said, like, obviously, you had internet in the lounges and all, but do you think you got as much done as you would have at home? Was there a chance you got more done because you only had certain times where you could do it, or was it was it a struggle then? I would say I probably got a little less done, but I could had I wanted, like, I wanted to enjoy the experience too. You know, like I didn't want to just be working as hard as I could the whole time, but like the the time in the lounges where I had a 12 hour layover in Sao Paulo, it's not like there was much else to do. So like that was a really productive 12 hours for me. And I could have paid for internet on the flights. I think it was like $20, you know, per flight. And so had I needed to do more, be more productive, I could have paid for internet. But when I was on the flight, I wanted to enjoy my meal, watch a movie, use that time to sleep. And so I was less productive because of that choice that I made. But if you really need it to, you know, like be available twenty four seven, 
you could have. I think there were like maybe two of my flights that weren't outfitted with Wi-Fi on the plane. But luckily, I have two other people that work with me. Uh, you know, that were making sure. You know, when I was on the airplane, if a client needed something, that they could service them. Right. That and that is what's so crazy is that you could go away for fifteen days, be on airplanes and in out airport lounges, and essentially be connected almost the whole time. The last, I guess, the last two questions, kind of, I have for you is one. Was there an airport lounge? Because you kind of you brought that up. Of there's a few that you ha- you know people do have expectations of airport lounges. So did I. I. I thought you know I'd walk in and it was could be like Shangri La, right? And I've had some really good experiences in lounges, and I've had some that are like, okay, well this is better than sitting on that cold hard chair out there with no food, but it's only minimally better. What were the best ones? The best uh, lounges that you experienced? All right, I was hoping you would ask. So like. If you've ever flown domestically and you've been like an American Airlines lounge or like United Lounge, you know you go in and like maybe you get some free like cheap drinks and then like some finger foods and some snacks. They're doing a little better. You might get some soup or something now, but it's it's not like a fantastic experience. Don't get me wrong. The first time I ever went in one, I absolutely loved it. I've gotten spoiled. But then you start to fly internationally and the lounges get better as you go to other countries. Uh, and for those people who don't already know what the priority pass is, you can get it with the American Express Platinum card and you can get it with the City Prestige card. That lets you in to over 700 lounges around the world. So that's what was getting me into the majority of these lounges. Um, and so the, the lounges um, in other countries are better, but I'm just going to skip all of that because there's one that like overshadows them all. So because I got executive platinum status and because that then gave me the highest status um, in the on one world, I was able to get into the Cathay Pacific first class lounge. So there's regular lounges, business class lounges and first class lounges. I'd never been in a first class lounge. Before. Neither have I. So I'm I'm like, oh no, don't tell me they're that much better because now I got to figure out a way to get in them. Yeah. Well, so uh, I, I don't know that they all are because I've read some other reviews online and I think that this was one of the best, but the Cathay Pacific first class lounge in Hong Kong was amazing. So they have what they call relaxation cabanas. So I enjoyed like getting to like check out the showers and all the different lounges because I had to because I was living in airports for two weeks. And, you know, I was surprised at how nice some of the other showers were in the lounges. But the relaxation cabana was a private room that had a shower, like a really nice jacuzzi bathtub, a couch, like a bathroom, a full vanity. And they were like, you know, please just don't stay in there longer than an hour and a half. And so, like, you just got this thing all to yourself. It was fantastic, especially after, at that point, that was towards the end of it, and I'd already been flying for, like, 12 days. And then on top of that, they had a full sit-down restaurant. So you go in, there's, like, a a buffet to start out with. So I I just ended up filling up on sushi because I love sushi. Um, But you could have, they have a menu that has, like, 10 things that you can order on it. And everything's free. So it's basically like going to this free, really nice restaurant. Uh, So it was uh, fantastic. That is awesome. Last question then, speaking of food, because you said a big part of this was eating for you. What was the best thing that you ended up eating? Was it the ice cream sundae or American or was that just, all right, this is great. I'll get it every time. Was there like a meal that you had on a certain airplane or in a lounge that, that really killed it? I wish I knew what this was called, but from uh, Bangkok to Tokyo, I flew Japan Airlines, Airways, I can't remember exactly which one it is, and they served this meal, and it was like this plate that was sectioned off. It was like their traditional Japanese meal, and it was this plate that was sectioned off into like 12 different portions, and they, I love trying new things, and so it was just like 12 bites of all of these different Japanese foods, and so that was like by far my favorite uh, food experience. And then, so I thought that was a meal, but then on top of that, they brought like this, uh, grilled sea bass with rice after that. And, you know, I thought I'd just finished my meal and here they were bringing me more food. So, uh, that was my favorite cause I like trying new things. And funny enough, I have the website up on my screen and that was the picture that like, as I was scrolling through your mileage run, that was the picture that's up there. So yeah, it's like a, a bento box is just like these little bite-sized 
not snacks. It's like it is a meal, as you mentioned in Japan, but it's little bite-sized things of different meats and pickled vegetables and things like that. And one of the things that I miss from living in Japan is every day when I got lunch, you would just order the bento box and everyone got the same one, right? I had no idea what anything was. I couldn't read anything. So every day I took a picture of it and I'd open like I'd open up, I'd take a picture of it and I'd rate it every day on my personal blog way before I had extra pack of peanuts. Um, because I didn't even know what the food was, but sometimes it was awesome and sometimes it was awful. So yeah, it's like a treasure hunt. It's like when you get those chocolate boxes, right? And you just try each one because you have no idea what's inside. Exactly. Awesome. I have a a worse food experience. Definitely. Give us that. Of course. So I like trying street food and, you know, trying new things. So when I got to Hong Kong, I went out on the street and I was feeling like really adventurous for some reason. And so I was just like, what's the the craziest thing that I've seen? I'm going to try that. And I got, it was, it was grilled octopus legs on a stick, which like I enjoy seafood. I've had squid and calamari and I decided I would try it. And so they, you know, there's ladies at their little street stand and then you pick the meat that you want. It's not cooked. And then they dip it in this boiling concoction and they cook it in whatever it is and then they give it to you and put it on a plate well and then at most of these street stalls there's like three or four little tables you know out in front of it and so the ladies who are cooking the food are sitting there like watching you try it and especially me as an american you know like they're watching very intently for how i'm gonna enjoy this uh squid on a stick and it ended up being like the worst thing I've ever had. And it wasn't that like the taste was that bad. It was the texture. Like it was like the only way I can describe it is I think it would be like chewing on an ear. Like it just was like cartilagey. And I had to like, I I took the first one. It was everything I could do to swallow it. And then I sat there and I gathered my composure. And because they were sitting there watching me, I made myself eat one more and then I just couldn't do it anymore. So I had to go give it back to them and just (laughs) try to tell them. Thank you. You are a trooper, man, for for sucking down that second one. Congrats on that. You're just trying to be a nice guy, right? I was doing my best, but it it was tough. That is awesome. Nate, I want to thank you for coming on. I also, before we go, I have to ask you this, I guess, because you're about ready to embark on your year-round trip or year-long trip, year-round, year-long round-the-world trip. What are you most excited about? Like, is there a place or... Because I know you haven't planned everything out, but is there a thing that you're saying, all right, we're going for a year, but I'm most excited about this one specific thing that I think we're going to do. So we're planning on visiting about 25 countries um, on our trip around the world. And I think the thing that I'm looking forward to most is we're planning on being in Nepal in early May, and we're going to attempt to hike to Everest Base Camp. So I, you know, I'm kind of outdoorsy and enjoy challenging myself. So there's a ton of things that I'm looking forward to, but if I had to pick one, that's probably it. That is awesome. We will be keeping up with you um, on your adventures. You do a fantastic job on NatePuchanan.com and on Instagram. Obviously, a really easy way to follow it. So I want to thank you for coming on, uh, recounting your story, You know, documenting all on Instagram and on the site so that we could all live vicariously through you without having to endure the sometimes torturous but mostly fun trip that you took. So where can... Remind people one more time like how they can come find you and especially how they can check this trip out and then follow you on the one that you're going to be going on because man, you're just like a traveling fool now. It's, it's crazy. So if they'll come to my website, natebuchanan.org, that's B-U-C-H-A-N-A-N, and I'll give them some incentive to sign up for the mailing list. So I will put together a PDF of how you can set up the alerts on your phones that'll give you the flight deals where I found my mileage run. So you can get that if you sign up for my email list. And then on top of that, um, that's where we'll keep people updated about our trip next year. And also I'm working on a small documentary. I mentioned that I took um, my wife's, uh, she films weddings and I took her camera equipment with me when I went on this mileage run. So at some point, hopefully in the near future, uh, I'm going to publish a little short documentary about the mileage run on my website as well. That is awesome. That's one of those projects where you have to document it, but then you get home and it's over. You're like, all right, I'm going to give myself some time to re- like re um, readjust, and then you're like, I-, I I never get around to then making the like the using the pictures, putting them up, or doing the video. So I hope you're better and more organized than me because I want to see that. I'll set it on here. So that that's going to force me to do. <laughs> Thank you, Nate, so much. Guys, if you're checking this out, remember, you can go to extrapackofpeanuts.com slash pods. We'll have the show notes 
uh, for this show and all the other episodes there. So you can check that out. You know, we'll be linking to Nate's site if you forget what that is. Definitely stay up to date with uh, him and his wife's trip because it's going to be cool. You guys do a really good job on Instagram and kind of just keeping people in the loop with what you're doing. It's, it's really easy to follow you guys on the site. I want to give a big shout out to our sponsors, Tortuga Backpacks. Remember, if you're looking for a good travel backpack, head to tortugabackpacks.com, use the promo code EPOP. And Nate gave you some incentive for signing up for his mailing list. That's awesome. I can't wait to get that PDF personally and set it up myself. If you want to hop on the Extra Pack of Peanuts mailing list, we will also bribe you. You can get our four-part series, uh, video series entitled How to Always Score the Ch- uh, Cheapest Flights, um, where we talk a little bit about mileage run, also about how you use frequent fire miles. All you have to do is text the word PEANUTS to 33444. That will get you on our mailing list. You'll get that totally free. So go sign up for Nate's mailing list. Go sign up for my mailing list. And uh, Nate... Thanks so much. This might be the last time we talk before you hop on your trip. So if I don't talk to you before you go, good luck. Let's stay in touch. And thanks for coming on and talking about this because uh, I've never done anything that crazy. So I'm looking up to you now as a as a mileage run guru. It's been a blast and I probably uh, wouldn't be here without you, Trav. All right. Thank you guys so much. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for all the support as always, making us the number one radio travel podcast on iTunes. And until next time, happy free travels. I'll show you.